0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 177, Here's Me Basking in the Love. This week we're discussing season 6, episode 14 of Buffy, Older and Far Away, and season 2, episode 18 of Battlestar Galactica, Downloaded.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, starting with uh, Buffy, um, second week of Buffy in a Row, Mm. Um, and I wanted to start with the title, Older and Far Away, because I like the title, but I haven't the foggiest idea What it means or what it's referring to, (laughs) Um, it's it's a very nice, lovely title. It sounds very kind of poetic and you know
2: evocative or something.
1: But like I have absolutely no idea how it relates to the episode. And I guess I'm just looking. Am I missing? Did I like literally miss something? Or do you have any theories about that? Because I got nothing.
0: (laughs) um, It reminds me of a title to a very short Ursula K. Le Guin book which Mm -hmm. is like one of her few not fantasy not science fiction books Mm -hmm. um it's like actually like a teenage like high school coming of age story very nice story um Mm -hmm. called very far away from anywhere else but yeah like Mm -hmm. same kind of thing where like the title like I don't like I've read it a couple times and I don't have any idea really what it yeah. stands for and maybe that's just me like being right. ignorant and not properly applying all of my English literature training to it but right anyway. right um yeah I'm kind of with you and like even while I was reading it like I always want to add like another syllable to far like I like I, I would want to mm. say like older and farther away or something like okay. that you know like but it's that's not it and I don't I don't know that I have a good answer or oh, like I would say the older, so it's a Buffy birthday episode.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: so another year older. Um, and far away, like, that's how Dawn feels alone, mm-hmm. far away mm-hmm. from everyone. Like, everyone always goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's just me, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: sort of stating the obvious, I think. Sure. Like, I don't, and, and maybe that's how yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe
1: it's not as complicated as I'm... Um, yeah making it out to be like it's not well, like
0: it's not like lover's walk where like you can have like three or four different right. interpretations and layers to it um right. and i kind of feel like <laughs> we were actually just saying right before we hit record like i feel like this episode doesn't have like a ton of layers like there's a lot of sort of like mm-hmm. with like the demon and how frick and and like just jam-packing buffy's house with characters mm-hmm. but i I like I feel like even that's a lot of just like you can sort of wave a lot of that away and there's some you know, there's some stuff with Dawn and there's some stuff with Willow and Tara and you know Yeah, you know, we'll wanna comment on a few things here and there, but like mm-hmm. I don't know that like it's a terribly complicated episode and like important mm-hmm. in the sense of like we need to unpack a lot of stuff that goes on or you know whatever yeah. like right like there's definitely right. important stuff going on but not like right yeah once more with feeling where like we need to like analyze lyrics and talk right. about like right. all the different relationships and
2: right that kind of thing
1: yeah um well i want to start with dawn and but you reminded me of something with the title there that like maybe there is some kind of Um, overlap there in the in the character development because um, even though I feel like Dawn takes center stage in this episode I feel like it is Buffy's birthday and throughout the course of the episode you get even though they don't ever really state this explicitly like it never really gets to the point where this is spoken about there's a similarity to how dawn and buffy are both feeling um and like so if we're looking at you know the lyrics or the lyrics the title of older and far away it's like okay yeah buffy's older um but you know dawn is older too i mean it's not her birthday but like we are seeing her sort of grow up over Mm. these couple seasons you know she's getting older and like, the far away, you mentioned, like, Dawn feels far away from everybody, but so does Buffy, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, when Dawn's talking about, you know, when Buffy's reassuring her, saying, like, I know it feels like you're alone, but you're not. You have all these people that care about you. And Dawn's kind of countering, like, well, if that's true, then why do I feel like this? Why do I feel so lonely if I'm yeah. not alone is the implication. And that's exactly how that's the space that Buffy's been in for this season too, is feeling disconnected from her life and from her friends and everything that feels sort of things that used to feel sort of stable and reliable. She suddenly feels disconnected from that. Um, You know, and I think if they were to confront Buffy about these things, they would say the same thing. Like they'd say to her, why are you acting so aloof? You're not alone. And she would say, okay, why do I feel this way then? Um, which is kind of exactly what she said to Tara in the last episode of like, if nothing's wrong with me, why do I feel like this? Why do I do these things? Why do I, you know, why am I having this relationship with spike? Why can't I just be normal if everything is normal? Um, So it is a kind of interesting overlap there that each of them are kind of trapped in their own loneliness and don't realize they they're unable to feel the kind of love of the people around them Mm -hmm. um and so maybe they're both kind of older and farther away like and maybe that's part of like the growing up of you know it can feel the more you kind of go into your adulthood and you're not dependent on your parents or whoever it was that used to take care of you, that kind of feeling of, I guess, isolation and that you're in charge of yourself and, you know, have to sort of look out for yourself or, you know, whatever. Um, Sure. So
0: all sounds good to me.
1: That would be, you know, just kind of one way to look at it, I guess. Um, So, but it really does kind of center around Dawn in this episode. So and it has to do with, you know, the wish that she makes. So, um, who we saw in the last episode, I guess, or a couple episodes ago, I can't remember now of which one she was in, but um, you know, uh the vengeance demon is kind of hanging around and, you know, by the end we kind of find out that you know, she comes because Anya called her, but then I guess wherever she goes, she's sort of feeling around for where is there opportunity to sort of help right. out somebody. Um, and, you know, right. it's so Dawn's, she's, Right, she, you know, so Dawn's she's kind of pain echoes across Sunnydale and, you know, calls to her and draws her in and everything.
0: Right, right. She's ostens, ostens, uh, ostens, ostensibly there for the upcoming wedding. Which we don't. We haven't been told like when that's going to be, right? No, no, um, I don't
1: think we'd really know. Like, is it is it a month from now? Is it a year from now? Right, we just sort of
0: hear Anya dropping hints about planning and you know all this stuff. But so yeah, like so she's sticking around and taking care of some business while she's there, which is interesting because like she. Apparently can just sort of appear and disappear wherever, right, so like if you can mm-hmm. do that, then why do you need to be like in Sunnydale in order to take care of that business? like couldn't you just pop in and out right. whenever you needed to but right, um
1: right, right, well, and like i th- my impression is like, yeah, she's not hanging around for the wedding, like she can come back for the wedding, but then it's like, well, while I'm here, let me just you know right. wander around the neighborhood and see you know, uh who might be kind of, you know, a person to like, who you know, somebody like Dawn, who's sort of crying out for attention or something that they're sort of feeling, you know, angry or sad about or whatever. Um, Um, And that she's sort of drawn to that.
0: Um, Right. And so, it and, and so we also get a little more just about vengeance demons in general, right? Like, so you get that, Anya was, you know, sort of, her thing was, you know, uh, taking, taking vengeance out on men specifically, right. you know, who had wronged right. uh, their women, but, um, you know, how Frick seems to lean more towards like people who are terrible to their children, you know, right. or, or their charges anyway. Right. Um, right.
1: Like neglected, their, abandoned their wars, children. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. So, like, the what we think of as a vengeance demon is sort of different. Like, Anya was a very specific personality yeah. within that. Um, right. You know? Right, and like of she course, had a
0: specialty within right. the vengeance right. demon subculture.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, and the implication seems to be that it's not like... It, it doesn't seem so much to be, like, a breed of demon like a, you know these are the ones that deal with like this is the type of one that deals with men and this one deals with parents or whatever it's like it has some relationship with their like personality like their own experience right. like that's the implication is that like how is drawn to abandon children because she has these daddy issues or whatever um yeah, yeah you know. according
0: to the coughed aside by anya
1: According to Anya, and so we take that with a grain of salt. But then it begs a question: Like, is that true of Anya? Like, is that why Anya specialized in those things because of experiences that she may have had, or are there as many different types of, you know, uh, mm. anger out there? Are is there like a, a vengeance right. demon to accommodate that, or a justice demon? Right. As they, the more that's the more PC term, right. I guess. <laughs>
0: Uh, um, right. Like, is there is there a demon out there who, uh, you know, takes revenge on people who cut in line, you know, or sure. something like that? Right, like, right, right, like right. maybe that's their pet peeve. Right. Or, right. Um, yeah, people who uh, don't park within the lines on, you know, in a, in a parking spot, you know, or right. something like that. Like, you, you can right. see maybe if that was uh, something that really gets their griddle. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> beings, you know, a specialty for that. Right. Um, There's a
1: vengeance demon for you. Yeah. Right. right. Um, well, and it, it does not to, I didn't mean to skip ahead like to Anya this early, but like it does put her kind of re- wedding obsession in an interesting light that like, like, and we've always mm. known that. We've always known that she's been the vengeance demon who went after you know, men who had mistreated women and everything. So it's not like sure. this is new information, but like, it's just reinforcing this thing of like, you know, Anya is in this committed relationship with Xander. Um And, you know, and getting deeper and deeper into
2: that right. commitment
1: of, you know, right. being in love with him and what does that mean and how to be a couple and eventually moving in together and eventually planning a wedding and everything. And like, well, you do, you do forget that she has this background. And I want to skip ahead to Anya because since we're talking about it.
0: Like, I, so can I just add real quick before yeah, you go on yeah, yeah. that? Like also the last time we saw her and Halfrick together, Halfrick was questioning that very relationship and pointing out all the ways in which Xander sort of undermines her. Sorry, no. if were you going to that?
1: No, area? I was going to go... No, I think that's a good point. I was going to go to this episode because I feel like the way Anya acts um, is different than how we've seen her behave more recently. And it reminded me more of her in the beginning when it was very present that she was the next demon and she was a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more you know uh, harder to kind of get along with as a human being and kind of you know a little bit i don't know s- sparkier or something um you know and i think there's been a kind of like softening and humanizing of her maybe more recently and Not that she goes full-on demon in this episode, but, like, with some of the confrontations with Willow and with Dawn, it gets, like, a little heated there. And it, I guess that, plus the presence of Halfrek and this kind of vengeance demon idea, kind of reminded me of, oh, yeah, she's not 100% just one of the humans. You know, like, she has this kind of uh, demon backstory that is easy to forget about I think
2: Um, right
0: right like physiologically like she doesn't have her powers anymore so like she's human in that respect but right from uh like we've talked about like from her own experiences if if your memories are who you are then you know she carries a lot you know all those memories and they use that from time to time too right like the knowledge and whatever but like there is baggage with that, too, clearly. And and that aspect of, like, friends you have from when you were younger in high school or whenever bring out a certain, you know, uh, aspect of you that maybe friends who met you later don't know about or don't mm-hmm. see on a day-to-day basis. And right. so there's that, too. I You know, it's interesting because I – and I'll just throw that out there because I, I don't think you're wrong, per se – Mm-hmm. But when I was watching it, I, I was thinking of it in a sort of completely different way, kind of the opposite way, in fact, in that her, her attitude now of wanting to fight and find out what's going on is very different from like when she's wanting to leave Sunnydale like right before graduation day. Mm -hmm. You know when she's like ready to leave Sunnydale and is trying to drag Xander along with her right like Mm -hmm. like this is not you know at that point she's not confrontational at all even though she's just come from being a you know demon you know vengeance demon a justice demon Mm -hmm. Uh, like there she's like let's get out of town and like now I mean yes like she wants to escape the house but she wants to do it by like she's like why aren't we doing anything like
2: right. like we should right. be
0: figuring out what's going on and trying to fix it you know so that they can get out of the house yes but like right right very different sort of attitude i i felt like that was a different mm-hmm. sort of attitude than um the early anya episodes um but right. i don't i don't necessarily i like i do see what you're saying too like kind of like there is that sense in in like like even when she's going through dawn stuff like it's not vengeance demon in like you know wink and make the wish that was stated come true for say but like it is sort of like like there is a justice aspect to it right and even like at the end where it's like there's two words i want you to learn you know it's uh, uh oh shoot uh, I forget what the phrase is, right? Oh, punitive damages. Punitive right? like, damages, like yeah. Yeah. you know, like that's a justice term, right? Like that's what right. happens in court when you're found, you know, guilty, or 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 in civil court where you're found, you know, to be at fault of, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And so, um, there is sort of that vengeance, demon-y aspect to it, uh, in in a way. Um, so yeah. And uh so since we're talking about Halfric,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh we should talk about this her and Spike moment, then we don't have to deal with it later. <laughs> so there's a moment a somewhat uh famous or infamous, I don't know however you want to look at it moment in uh this episode um that sort of resonates. So Spike walks in when Halfric Mm -hmm. is, you know, like after she appears or whatever. And, uh, or after she like gets back up and is sort of getting ready to explain what's going on and, uh, sort of look at each other and she calls him William, which we know is his, Mm -hmm. right. He's William the bloody because of his bloody Mm -hmm. awful poetry. Um, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) he's like whoa wait what and then Buffy asks wait do you know each other and they both sort of deny it yeah but they do know each other and so yes do you know how they know each other Did were um, you able to suss that out or did you know or did you hear elsewise
2: well
1: no I don't know I mean it seems like they had some sort of a fling. Is the only thing I can think of. Is okay. like all right. So you they, don't know they know each other. You don't and, know that. You know, okay. So I, I don't I don't know for sure. I would only be able to speculate.
0: Uh, way back. So you remember the episode? Uh, then of course the the reference to William the Bloody because of his bloody awful poetry was mm-hmm. uh purpose because it's in that episode which is um. Fool for Love, where we Mm -hmm. get Spike's backstory, Mm -hmm. Halfric is Cecily, who is the object of William's poem to whom he reads the poem to her, and she says, you're beneath me. Oh. And now, I mean, I know we're talking like two seasons ago? Was that season four or was it season five when that when we get that i i can't remember at I don't this even point even um so i mean we're talking a while ago so like yeah no, no fault for not knowing that um i didn't pitch it the first time the around. same
1: actress i presume it's like the it's... same
0: actress gotcha and it's confirmed by the writers by drew goddard um he confirmed in a uh oh i i think it's one of the commentaries actually and i don't remember if it's I don't remember what I don't think it's this episode, but I believe in one of the commentaries um he says uh basically confirms that yes, Cecily and Halfrick are the same person. But it goes further. And I'll and I'll go ahead and give sort of the whole story of this because mm-hmm. we don't actually get any more in Buffy yep, yeah, the the series. Um okay. it takes place in like the comics and elsewhere. So okay. um there's a Spike comic that comes, I don't know, a couple, few years later, like three years later, um, uh, called Spike Old Times. And it's set sort of nebulously in Buffy season six, which is the season we're in now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a comic that was published by IDW Comics that uh, only had rights to publish Angel-related storyline so it's like one of these weird rights issues but mm-hmm. based on they got like special permission to use spike and Halfrick um in the storyline and basically what happens is sometime in season six both spike and Halfrick, magically or whatever end up in la so it's kind of like set near angel and mm-hmm. uh basically confirms that where when we see Cecily, you know, back in whatever 1800s or whenever it was, um, she was actually undercover, like she was Halfrick, then like a vengeance demon at the same time, and whatever. So it wasn't like Cecily turned into Halfrick or anything. Like she was actually mm-hmm. Halfrick, but William knew her as Cecily. And okay. what ended up happening is that party where all of the, uh you know, people were sort of mocking him and his poetry and he leaves, right? So he leaves that party, runs out, finds, you know, runs into Drusilla and gets turned is the Mm -hmm. short version of that story. Like immediately after that, Cecily, like, well, Halfrick goes and like kills all of the people at the party. (laughs) So like, like that's sort of the, the storyline there. And then um, like the other stuff happens in the comic and, and, Uh, Spike sort of has you know his revenge on her he doesn't kill her or anything but like sort of gets back at her Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of it and then uh, yeah so um, that's that's the story of Spike and and Halfrick and Hmm. William and Cecily Uh, now what's interesting is as I was sort of looking up to make sure I had all the details right is I found out that there's actually a one of the Buffy novels um, called These Are Actors has a completely different story <laughs> about uh, Spike and um, sort of picking up on the same point. But um, mm-hmm. it was published actually closer to the time. It was published in 2002, which is when this episode airs as well, although this the book was published a few months later. Yeah. Um, and um, sort of hinges on uh, Cecily... Uh, Sorry, not Halfric, but uh, Spike and Cecily, William and Cecily, uh, Cecily actually being turned into a vampire as well. Or actually, she's not turned, she's, sorry, I'm I'm like rereading the description here, I got it wrong. She's not turned, she's, um, uh, Spike as a vampire bites Cecily because she turns him down, but she doesn't turn. Although her father thinks she does and ends up killing her with a stake. So like very, mm-hmm. very dark sort of turn there. So there's like another whole sort of like uh, the novels are not considered canon. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, the, the wish verse, right? Like it is kind of a, a right. different, uh, which actually, the so wish verse is Anya's creation, right? So still sort of demon, right. uh, vengeance demon. Uh, right.
2: Right. alternate universe, alternate universe
1: kind of thing yeah. going on
0: there but um yeah anyway so yeah so but basically long story short definitely um we do have confirmation that Halfrick and cecily are the same person they're played by the same actress um and that um yeah a lot of people this is like one of those things where like a lot of people on like their third or fourth time through like oh wait a minute I think I've seen her before. But you know if, but it's also right. hard to tell cuz we've seen other actors who have played different characters like in Buffy and Angel or you know like aren't necessarily and even you know uh in makeup maybe even in the same series, right? Like so right. you know you have like Luke and the Judge and you know stuff like
2: that. Right. Um,
1: right. Right, which is as I'm sure you know, the, you don't even see her real face until this episode. Like the fir- the previous one, she's all in her right. sort of demon makeup and everything. Right. Um, as right. Halfric. And, and so, so right. I'm not, a I'm not two. associating her in that context.
0: But yeah, right, right. Other than that, right, until you go back and watch Fool for Love, right. and maybe right. recognize her, and you're like, oh, because now we've seen Halfric a couple of times, and maybe you know it's a little right. easier to. Pick out her face, right. then you right. realize, like, wait a minute. Oh yeah, Spike and Halfric recognize each other. This must right. be why, right? Kind of thing. So, right. Anyway, interesting. That's all. That's all there is to that. Um, but it is. It is one of those like moments where you're like, wait a minute. There's something going on here. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. And and the thing about and why I wanted to sort of address it now is one so we don't have to address it because it never comes up again like in the series Mm -hmm. so right it's it's just sort of in those other materials uh whether you consider them canon or not um right you know uh that they that they sort of come up but yeah anyway right interesting Yeah. yeah
2: um so I mean, it so it actually was so like Halprich, that so playing, that's <laughs> nice
1: that she had more stuff to kind of do in the background and everything. Yeah. So I feel like we kind of went all over our plan. <laughs> um,
2: yeah.
1: And kind of okay, so we kind of skipped ahead to talking about the like, you know, the, the wish itself and everything and all of that. Um, so what else is there to say about Dawn? I mean, I think you, you are kind of right. There's not a whole lot of subtextual layers in the episode. Like it's pretty straightforward what it is that it's dealing with and everything. So I don't know that there's too much to unpack, but, um, you know, and that's not a bad thing. Um, it's, you know, just more of a kind of moving the characters forward a little bit kind of episode. But um mm-hmm. but like with Dawn, we've had, you know, her being uh kind of frustrated for a while for several episodes now, um, particularly with Buffy, but with everybody of feeling like she's, you know, not really included, that they're all kind of busy doing other things. Um we've had her kind of either sneaking off or sort of going off to be with her friends, you know, rather than, you know, mm. so like the one, when Buffy is around Dawn by that point has made other plans. So, you know, right. cause she's getting tired of sitting around waiting for people to sort of want to be with her. Um, you know, and it's not just Buffy. I mean, there's Willow very wrapped up in, what she's dealing with. Um, there's Xander and Anya being very uh, wrapped up in their wedding. So it's sort of events are sort of conspiring to keep Dawn feeling very sort of isolated and lonely and everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there, there's this scene of like, um, Anya and Xander pretending that she doesn't even know what's going on, even with things like they're going to set Buffy up with this guy and, you know, talking about it as if she isn't even old enough to understand what that is. Um, You know, and and like, not only just keeping it from her, but literally treating her like she's, you know, you know, five rather than 15 or whatever.
0: Um, I can hear you when I'm in the room, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm right here.
1: (laughs) Right. And like, I'm in high school. Yes, you are. That kind of thing, you know, (laughs) like... um, you know, so like the 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 condescension is sort of getting under her skin and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, that's a reasonable enough feeling. I feel like it's fairly straightforward. You know, she goes to the guidance counselor, and that seems like a plausible scenario. She seems to get called in there occasionally, so it doesn't take a lot of prompting to get for Halfrek to get her to sort of open up a little bit about what she's frustrated about. Um, you know, yeah. and it's, it's not like, she doesn't wish bad things on people. It's a kind of innocent, you know, well, I wish things were this way instead of the way they are. Um, you know, but of course it kind of spirals out of control and everything. Um, yeah. And sort of like with, with Willow where, when, you know, when Willow went cold turkey and then there was Buffy went invisible and then everybody like accused Willow of being, Oh, it must've been Willow like messing around with magic Mm. when she shouldn't have been. They kind of all do the same thing to Dawn here of like, you know, uh, well, there's a spell that's gone wrong that, you know, addresses your complaint. So clearly you did this and they all kind of round on her and accuse her and everything.
0: Um, yeah. Well and so, so yeah. um we you know what I find interesting sort of is Buffy's interpretation of that aspect of it, the you know, okay, we can't leave the house and so you know you know, Dawn might be responsible and like Anya finds all the stolen, you know, mm-hmm. stuff a lot of which is apparently from the magic box, right? So, like, which presumably means some of that stuff is magical. So, like... Yeah. But Buffy sort of excuses or tries to make an excuse for um, Dawn, saying, like, oh, you know, it's not her fault. She, like, wished, whatever. But, like, at the same time, she's sort of ignoring the... uh, uh, kleptomania aspect of it like it's mm-hmm. not like okay like you can't leave the house but that doesn't mean that like she s- didn't still like steal the leather right. jacket she just gave you for her for your birthday like right like those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand right. but like right. Buffy's trying to trying to like sort of give that excuse where like oh well she's not really like like she's not really a thief or whatever because like there's this magic thing going on. But, like, they have two totally different causes. And mm-hmm. actually, I mean, may, well, maybe the root cause is the same for each of them. But they're not, like, like one of, you know, the magic didn't cause the stealing or vice versa. Like, they both have a separate route to Dawn being lonely. And she's lonely, so she's right. going out and pushing the boundaries of seeing what she can get away with you know on the one hand but then at the same time her loneliness is what causes her to you know sort of spill her guts and open up to someone she assumes is a trustworthy adult you know and why wouldn't Mm -hmm. you like i mean i don't want to get you know too far down the road of like questioning school authorities or whatever but like right you would like their guidance counselor, like, how often did you see your guidance counselor? Like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what my, you know, the names of many of my guidance counselors were at school. Me like, I maybe saw them once or twice, and like, probably, but I went to two different high schools. Like, i like one of them, I don't even know that I saw any guidance counselors. Like, probably not until like I was ready to apply for colleges, and then it was like, yeah, right. I need some applications and stuff. Like, right, right. I don't even know that I ever, like, sat down and had a heart-to-heart with, like, a guidance counselor um, in my school. You know, so... Right. You know, I could could see why Dawn wouldn't necessarily, like, she would just assume, like, yeah, this isn't someone I've seen before, but so what? Like, why would I... Why would you expect to have seen them before?
1: Right. Right. Well, and on... The flip side of that, too, even if she has seen guidance counselors before in a way that makes them more trustworthy of like, well, her mom has died and she's been right struggling with that. And like my guess is that she's in and out of the guidance counselor all the time and has learned that they're supposed to be these trustworthy authorities who are there to sort of you know, it's like, like I said, it's very plausible that a guidance counselor calls her down, and says, Hey, what's going on? Why don't mm-hmm. we talk a little bit about how you're feeling? Like, that seems like a perfectly like, ex- you know, something you'd expect during like, you know, her time at school and everything. So right. it makes Halfrick like that much more sort of trustworthy just by implication. Um, so, yeah. Um yeah and i mean the other thing anya says too is is the thing about how can how can we trust you if you're doing this kind of stuff and it's like you know for don that's part of it too of she wants to be treated like an adult and to be included and to be treated with respect and all these things um but she's still in that kind of acting out phase of her teenage years you know of um you know when when i'm not treated like the adult that i feel like i am
2: yeah.
1: i'll go out and well, steal a bunch of stuff and you know so and there's the catch-22 there of you have to earn the trust not just sort of expect it
0: You know, the other aspect, too, is in the early, you know, we've talked about how Dawn's at the age now of where Buffy was when the series started. Mm -hmm. And you had the same things with Buffy and Joyce of Buffy sneaking out and getting caught and, you know, like Joyce having to sort of put her foot down in that respect of, like, hey, you can't, you know, if you want trust, then you need to earn it and that sort of thing, too. So it's you know a similar type of thing going on there it would be the difference Mm -hmm. being in the power dynamic of then buffy was a slayer and sort of had a good reason for sneaking out and and not that joyce was wrong like she's still the mother and you know has a valid point of you know (laughs) like you can't just sneak out and you need to earn trust but here dawn doesn't have that Mm -hmm. i'm the slayer thing and i think you know that's part of what what we're seeing too is is even like even last season where dawn wasn't the key anymore but like she was still sort of important as Mm -hmm. or like i mean i guess she was the key but like she's in human form and like didn't have and still doesn't have any powers or anything and so like Mm -hmm. but like she was wanted she was desired right by this like god Mm
2: -hmm.
0: goddess you know person who uh you know had all these minions and people and like now it's like going from that to being completely ignored and like Mm -hmm. having no purpose or whatever beyond just being a normal human teenage person who already is like Normal human teenage people are already moody and feel alone and all of that. So that on top of your sister being like a superhero and previously having had all this attention as like this super powerful energy source, like that's got to do some damage too, just as far as like psychological damage. I mean, like just as far as... Yeah, like like she's literally a nobody in that respect. Like just in so far yeah. as everybody's a nobody. Like if that right. makes any sense. Like she's just a normal person and Buffy's still the slayer, but now Buffy's the one sort of, you know, taking care of her. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a different a different dynamic, I guess than even Buffy before, but still kind right. of playing out the same types of Things, you know, and in that respect and earning respect and all of that.
1: Right. And getting back to that desire of Buffy's to be just the normal person, which has been there since the beginning. So now sure. it's further amplified by the fact that each of them inevitably thinks the other one just has it made, you know,
2: right?
1: <laughs> and so like And that only even more so since Dawn isn't like, you know, the key to the world being fought over by God's kind of thing. Like, like you said, like now she really is the ordinary person, you know, fully the ordinary person. And so she and Buffy are kind of similar in their feelings, but kind of looking at each other on opposite sides of the fence and everything. Yeah. Um, and but each feeling isolated by that, and probably imagining that like if I were where you are, I would appreciate it, and right. I wouldn't feel this way right. anymore, and you don't know how good you have it, and that kind of thing um,
2: yeah
1: um, actually, tangent before we started recording, um, I mentioned that I binged the crown this past weekend on Netflix um and that's like one of the big you know i imagine this is common with a lot of siblings that are very close in age and everything but like in particularly in that series you know you have these two sisters who grew up together did you know grew up as you know princesses but like did everything together probably had everything the exact same for the, the you know the first 20 years of their life and then, you know, suddenly one of them becomes queen, you know, and <laughs> kind of how does that change the dynamic a little bit? Because each of them is just looking at the other with longing of, oh, my gosh, how great would it be to be you? Um, you know, and neither of them can really fully understand what the other one is going through. And each of them probably has it really good in some ways and really crappy in others. So, um, you know that's a hard kind of divide to sort of you know overcome and everything yeah um so yeah um so we talked a bit about Buffy and kind of how she's feeling the same way as Dawn even though it's for different reasons um and I mean, I don't think there's too much more to go into, you know, the fact that it's her birthday. So her bad things always happen on her birthday, like Spike points out, that maybe we should just skip it, you know, next year right. um, rather than have like inevitable disaster and everything. Um, and, you know, we have uh, this guy, Richard, that Xander and Anya bring in to try to, you know, sort of set her up. Um Which she doesn't seem too interested in at first, although it seems like, you know, I feel like Buffy in this episode is very aware of the people around her and people potentially looking and seeing and everything. And um, I think in the last episode we talked about like how much of what she's doing is based on what people will think of her rather than what she might really want to be doing. Um and I feel like that's kind of the thing in this episode is she never really fully you know goes very far with Richard, but she can't really, you know, indulge very much with Spike either because if she's with Spike, she's afraid someone's going to see, someone's going to catch them. And if she's with Richard, she's aware that Spike is watching and looking and wondering what's going on. So she's kind of torn between these two guys, but it's always kind of based on who's looking, who's watching, what are they going to think? You know, and she's, you know, like she says to Tara, she's not ready to come out yet. So, um, you know, everything kind of has to be kind of hidden and, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and... So you get the uh uh you can sort of like in Richard maybe to Scott. Remember Scott Hope, her mm-hmm. her boyfriend from way back uh it season two, I guess.
1: Vaguely. Um,
0: yeah, well that's the thing, is like but he's just this go, sort yeah. of like sweet guy who right. you know Buffy was kind of nice. Um Right, right. right. You know, but uh, didn't really, or it might even been season three, I guess, because I think it was after Angel, the whole Angel stuff, right? So, um, right. but yeah, like, I mean, he he just is kind of like there, whatever, but then it doesn't really pan out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's not much more to it than just, yeah, he seemed like a nice guy and that's right. It. Um. So
1: well, and I mean, of the guys she's really been with in any sort of long or meaningful kind of way, it really has been, you know, Angel and Spike, you know, vampires, and Riley, who, while not a vampire, had this whole other double life as, you know, a, a a fighter for, you know, good and you know, demon researcher and all that kind of thing and military guy and all that so it is kind of there is a sense of there not being a ton of potential with just a nice normal person like like scott hope or like this guy um not that she gets to know him that well but you know that's kind of the sense is that like there needs to be more uh, I don't know, overlap with this kind of other life that she leads.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, which he starts to even figure out just in like the course of this episode, right? It's like, <laughs> right. we're trapped in a house by some unseen force. Who knows what, you know, she's doing in there and I have to tell you, I don't think that's a skin condition. A skin condition. Like you, he's yeah. he's starting to see through the right, right. Uh, uh, you know, sort of the mental block that most Sunnyvale, Sunnydale people have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sunnyvale, where I don't know where that came from. Anyway, um,
1: well, and yeah. So speaking of the other demons, so they they have a few other random guests. So there's you know Buffy's, um, you know work friend, Sophie. Sophie, um,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, and um, who would rather be trapped in a house than go back to her shift at the double meet. Um, and <laughs> and Clem is the, <laughs> the, 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 the like, weird, loose, flabby-skinned demon who, like, gambled for kittens. But he seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. <laughs> Kitten Clem, kitten, gambling aside, you know, Clem, he kind of comes like, and hangs out and then says nice party and he leaves and like he's just pretty harmless.
0: And you don't know that he does anything, you know, bad to those kittens.
1: No, we don't really know much about him at all. Um, no. no, I mean, it's funny that Spike brings him along, but. Um,
0: yeah, everyone's got a plus one this week. Right, right.
1: Um,
0: except for, I guess, Tara. She doesn't bring anyone. But right.
1: right. Well, Buffy kind of has plus two, I guess is the birthday person. She gets to bring, uh, Sophie I'm imagining is the other plus one.
0: Oh, um, yeah. So I guess, right. I guess I was just thinking of Tara as a regular invited guest, like not as a plus one.
1: Right. Well, and we should bring that up because she is there by special invitation of Buffy. And interesting that they, seem more like connected in this episode, you know, mm-hmm. after like Tara right now knows more about what's going on with Buffy than anybody. Um, right. And Buffy's appreciation of that really comes through here of like, you know, cause you know, Buffy is going to go out of her way to not give Willow a hard time. So if she wants Tara there. It's because it's important to her. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause otherwise I think she would just let it go just to kind of be, you know, sensitive or whatever. Um, but like the fact that she specifically invites Tara and like kind of abandons her when it gets awkward, but like greets her warmly. And, you know, um, so they're kind of connecting in a way that I don't think we've seen them really like one-on-one kind of have that real understanding before. Um, so yeah, it's a nice way to get Tara kind of back into the group. Sure. And Tara and Willow are on pretty good terms these days. Their their relationship seems to be kind of on the mend.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, even considering that Willow has magical stuff that she shouldn't have, right? Like
1: I was expecting that to like totally bust it back up again. But the fact that, I guess the fact that she hasn't used it and and resists it in the episode doesn't totally backfire. Like Tara kind of still sees it as Willow's getting better and is really trying hard and, you know, um, making like a real, you know, effort to, you know, not indulge in it anymore so um yeah I I was pretty convinced when that when that came out that it was like oh that's it you know that's it for Tara and Willow they were just sure. they were doing so well and then
0: <laughs> and then go ruin yeah. it again
2: right yeah. right
0: well I mean and I don't think I don't think like they're on the verge of getting back together per se but like right it didn't it, yeah, it didn't, like, ruin their chances in the way that you might have thought right. either. Like
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, right. And and as it turns out, so, you know, on the one hand, I, I was almost thinking, like, oh, well, you know, I wonder how much Buffy invited Tara, too, to sort of be a buffer with her and Spike, given that Tara knows. But Buffy didn't expect Spike to be there. So that mm-hmm. just is sort of fortuitous. Um, in that Tara is there to sort of stumble on them in the hallway and right. like, right. you know, remind, right, well, and not like, I don't even, Spike doesn't even necessarily know that Tara knows at this point, although he might be questioning it a little bit, but like referencing his cramp, you know, mm-hmm. when he's getting a little, maybe too mouthy. <laughs> right. Um, and
1: And Tara being a little more assertive in this episode of, like, kind of letting Spike know, if not that she knows everything, at least, like, putting him in in his place a little bit and being a little bit there to kind of keep him in check, like, helping Buffy out that way, but then also defending Willow, you know, that, like, when when Anya's, like, about to, like, round on her and it's going to get, like, intense and even Xander's saying, like, in a... In a gentler way, trying to convince her, oh, it's fine, it won't be a big deal. Well, like, he's going to enable her to get them out of the situation. Tara stepping forward and, you know, protecting her, like, physically putting herself in between them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she kind of is in here, like, keeping everybody on the straight and narrow, really. Um, Right. (laughs) So, yeah, and... Xander, Xander and Anya, come on guys. Um not not cool. I mean, there so there is the whole scene of like Anya kind of freaking out and having a panic attack and like Xander almost getting killed. So you do understand that it's a serious situation and they're getting desperate and everything. But um but still you know It's hard enough for Willow to resist on her own, let alone when her friends are trying to convince her that, oh, come on, it won't be that bad. You know, you can do it. No big deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Xander is a little surprising in that moment because you would Mm -hmm. expect him to be maybe a little more on Willow's side Mm -hmm. uh, and protective of her. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. He's not. (laughs) Yeah. For whatever that's worth.
1: Um, okay. I don't know that I have a whole lot else. I mean, the plot kind of resolves itself. Like, you know, how frick... <laughs> you know, there's some... Right, the she gets The demon with caught the sword up. is kind of a plot device. And
2: yeah, gets so... stuck
1: in her own, you know, curse and everything. And so she has to lift it to get her out and, you know, kind yeah, of... Yeah.
0: I mean... The fact that we don't even get a species or name of the demon with a sword, like, tells you, you know, how much it was just, you know, yeah. kind of a, a... Well, I think, on the one hand, it's sort of meant to be initially kind of... It, so he's, he's Chekhov's demon, right? Like, we see him right at the beginning, and then we don't see him again until, like, Tara's doing her spell in, like, the third yeah. act, you know, of you know, trying to find out why they can't leave Mm -hmm. and then, like, sort of inadvertently reveals the demon. So, or whatever, you know, however that plays out. And, and like, there's no explanation of, like, the sword or his disappearing or his bit. Like, we just, it's just, he's purely there to be something that Buffy fights and kind of distract you from the problem of getting out of the house or whatever, but
1: right. And making being trapped more dangerous that like, it's not just that we're stuck in here, but we're stuck in here with a demon with a sword who's trying to kill us and everything. Um, and kind of distract you a little bit, like you said, from a little bit of a red herring from Halfrek of like, you know, you could kind of, you know, yeah. You know, if you're not really paying a, a super amount of attention, you could kind of, think that like they do that this demon and the sword is something to do with why they're stuck there. And it's like, well, no, it's just a coincidence, but right. um, you know, it could distract them from the real sort of culprit for the situation.
0: Um, um, yeah. And right. So, you know, and Buffy takes care, like she kills the demon, breaks the sword, like it's done. It's done and over mm-hmm. with sort of whatever. Um there's something else I was gonna say and now I can't remember what it was, so I guess it wasn't that important. Um but yeah. I don't have anything else, I guess, at this point. So let's move on to uh BSG. Yeah. So uh downloaded. Mm-hmm. Um so this is uh you know, it's the resurrection episode, right? So we get uh okay. six the original six that we knew about, I guess Caprica Mm -hmm. six is right. This is her new name. What we call her. Right. So this is because she was the one on Caprica alone and working undercover and is sort of the hero of the war. Right. She's the one who was able to get into the defense systems and bring everything down so that, you know, the attacks could happen.
1: Yeah. Um, and that, you know, like the way uh, the, the, the number three says, you know, they call you Caprica Six, like you're the only six on the planet. The way that, like, names are not always required. She's not the only Cylon with a name, but you do get a sense that, like, the ones with the names are maybe a little bit more special, a little bit more individual. Like, they have maybe more so particular personalities they're more differentiated from like the rest of the sixes or the threes or the eights or whatever Mm -hmm. so like her kind of getting of the name um is kind of important yeah and like the name of the city that she destroyed you know or the 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 planet that she sort of conquered single handedly so she sort of adopts its name and it's you know
0: yeah which is funny when you think about like Normally, it's the other way around, right, like so like you have like Istanbul, now Constantinople, mm. right, like you know <laughs> right. re-rename not not constant you know Constantine didn't take over the name of the place the that Istanbul, he destroyed right. or you know overcame it's the other way around, and the you know mm-hmm. same with like leningrad and Saint Petersburg right like right. it's it's you know that. You know, as the conqueror you're naming them, but the Cylons don't have names, so like right. it becomes it turns it turns into the other way around of they take on the name of the thing that they destroyed yeah um which is an interesting way to look at it uh mm-hmm. so yeah, so you have Caprica Six sort of waking up uh and and Immediately you get head baltar, which is uh a wonderful yeah, plot
1: development. Not
0: not as fun, not as fun as saying head six, but um, No. and I mean obviously they're to serve a similar function, kind of in a way, of like Yeah, you know, now he's he's sort of saying like like together head six and head Baltar kind of are working maybe at pulling their, their hosts. I don't, Mm -hmm. is that the right way to reference that? Um, you know, sort of closer together, you know, to think more about the other view of things. So, you know, head six is always sort of talking to Baltar about trying to think about things from the Cylon Mm -hmm. point of view and Mm -hmm. sort of pulling him that way. Um, With Caprica Six, you have Head Baltar, you know, sort of doing the other way of, like, giving sort of the human perspective and and pulling her, you know, in that direction. And so you can sort of see, see them working at cross purposes. But so now, okay, so from the beginning, you know, with Head Six, we've been like, oh, is this the Cylon's? Right. invading you know baltar's mind is this you know a psychological right. thing His Is this conscience talking altogether? to him
1: or, right right
0: um now, now like this is the second piece of evidence now that mm-hmm. we have right like of okay here's caprica six and she's doing this. now we know that baltar does not have the technology to like beam thoughts into a cylon head so right. now if the same thing is happening yeah. there like It becomes a bigger question of like, okay, so one, does the Cylon brain even work the same as like the human brain? Like, Mm -hmm. so how 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 does that work? Is there is this a psychic link? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, doesn't seem quite like that could be because like the ball the real Baltar isn't like saying the things that head Baltar is saying. Right. And now that we see Caprica Six. Right. Like she is not saying the things that Head 6 is saying. Right. So, right. That's a big
1: piece of the puzzle is how different the kind of head characters are from their right. act their primary like if we take Baltar and Caprica 6 as like the main characters. Yeah. But I don't think we could have it would have been hard to judge that up until this point because I feel like right, up right. until now Head 6 is like the main 6 that we know. Like as far as we know, this right, is she's the, the one we've seen the most of. This is the representative number six. And then we see Caprica Six. And she's kind of not totally a different character. Like, she still kind of, you know, says, you know, like pays lip service to her, you know, belief in God and all these kinds of things. But it's not with that kind of same conviction that, you know, or the kind of, you know, danger that had six of, and like, then when you see head Baltar, who was completely different than we know Baltar is like, he is smooth and together and purposed in all the ways that Baltar is like completely scattered and weak. And, you know, (laughs) like, you know, and so you kind of get the, the picture of, Oh, these, the primary characters are more, kind of flawed and doubting and self-doubting and these head characters sort of follow them around and bully them to, you know, into looking at things a different way or getting them to do things that they wouldn't normally do.
2: Yeah.
1: Um,
0: sure. And, and I mean, there's also the comparison of, I mean, probably for both, but I would say even there's a, more drastic change uh between caprica six pre-attack and caprica Mm. six post-attack you know like or or pre and post-resurrection however however you want to divide that line right? right um and it seems to me Like this episode, we get sort of some of the internal thoughts of Capital Six. I mean, she speaks them, but, um, and you know, through Head Baltar, maybe a little bit. Like, if again, if we're sort of assuming that Head Baltar is something created by her psychology, but maybe it's not, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, we get some of her thoughts about. You know, especially, like, when, when it's, you know, there's the conversation between her and Boomer of, you know, maybe maybe there was, maybe they were wrong, you know, yeah. to, like, start a war and kill all the humans and right. that sort of thing. Like, like, there's some doubt here, and that's doubt that never would have occurred to Capric- Capricorn six before
2: mm-hmm. the
0: attack. And dying, right. and, fo- and falling in love with Baltar, right? And and real and all of those things—the dying and the resurrection and the realization of how much she cares about whether or not Baltar is still
2: alive—kind
0: mm-hmm. of bring her to that, like that, like right. she couldn't have had that experience beforehand because she didn't, she she simply hadn't had those experiences, so. Right. You know. Right.
1: Well, yeah. and it's like it makes me kind of think too like about you know the line Sharon's line which they put as like very prominent in the kind of like previously on section about um you know how death becomes like a learning experience.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and you know so the line at the end about you know are you alive? Yes, we're alive. You know, like <laughs> you, you know we're alive kind of recalling the opening line you know of the sh- of the series you know like mm-hmm. are you alive was was number six right. i don't know what which six it is but a number six in, says, in the you
2: know, uh
0: in the right. mini series no I, i'm saying like in the um outpost there right in the yeah, like, yeah yeah satellite
1: right right so that's kind of the question of the series right um and you know it's kind of like death is the learning experience in it. Like you said, Caprica six and, and boomer only really come to these epiphanies because of all the things that they've been through, like the killing of people and then the dying and then the experience yeah. of love. Like they've experienced the fullness of everything you can kind of do in life in good and bad. And you know, the kind of realization at the end is we're alive and it kind of makes me wonder, like, are they more alive in a way than they were before they died? Like, you know. Right. Like, their kind of death and rebirth is, is kind of a rebirth into a higher level of understanding. Um, yeah. Because they can feel, and that's kind of signified by, I think, what they can feel. The fact that they can feel love. They can feel remorse. They can feel doubt over what they've done, that they're not just mindless machines of knowing exactly what they're going to do and doing it, but they actually, you know, the humanity is signaled by not being sure what the right thing was. And maybe, you know, even though Adama and all the others like to say we don't second guess, again, the second guessing is kind of a mark of morality in a way. Like, If you don't ever second guess your actions. I'm not sure that that's always a good thing. You know. Um, Mm. Like three doesn't second guess anything. Um, You know.
0: So. Yeah. Sorry.
1: No, no. Go ahead.
0: um, One question. Is the three that we see here. Deanna. I don't know. I don't. Because I was thinking about because like. Because like that it still holds because she escapes, right she she doesn't die, she escapes in like a ship right Right. so
1: right, like G- Deanna, the investigative and, journalist um, that we saw,
0: yeah, Doral right escape well, is not escape like he's put on the uh whatever that place was, you know right. the munitions depot or whatever right, but right? then
1: they come and like pick him, and up, then they pick so. him
0: up. Leo ben, I guess, would be the only other one who dies. Mm. Right? And we mm. haven't seen him around in a while. No. I don't think we seen him. And he any... was
1: already kind of cracked to begin with. Yeah, he was already kind of... <laughs> I like
0: right, can already only kind of imagine
1: really... what dying and being reborn has to do for his self-expansion and everything.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to think of like... like just poking... Not, or I mean, there's no holes to poke at this point, like, but just kind of looking at like what you were saying, like, yeah, like they're the only ones who have died and been reborn that we've seen
2: mm-hmm.
0: elsewhere. Now, so what it brings into question because, like, you know, they there must be like another resurrection ship here, like close by, or I guess they have resurrection facilities on Caprica mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm. right right like the resurrection ship that they destroyed isn't the only it was the only ship within range but presumably there are more or they can make more or whatever
0: right because like Caprica 6 died in the explosion Mm -hmm. so did they so they must not have had facilities on Caprica she must have woken up in a ship right? because Because at the moment of the explosion, until then, she was the only silent. Like, they wouldn't have had time to build facilities.
1: Right. Right. That's how I read it. It's like, she's they're in a ship somewhere close enough that she can kind of download wherever their resurrection ship is. Just
0: out of range of sensors until the attack starts. Right. You know, and then, like they pull in with, like, the first wave of the attack or whatever. Right, right. Interesting. But, yeah, so, yeah, I I mean, sort of, I guess, my headcanon, I do think that the three we see is Deanna.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I feel like Deanna is kind of how we get to know the threes like in particular like Deanna so probably it makes sense that this is her and we're getting to know like even if she doesn't call herself that yet like there is a particular personality that we're starting to sort of follow as like the primary
2: right
1: number three character
2: right
1: so yeah I don't know that they ever say it but that's I mean that makes sense to me
0: um, there's also that. Uh, okay, so we talked about six waking up. So we should talk about Boomer waking up, which is mm-hmm. another instant, right? Like this is the same personality that we're following, right. you know. Um, and then there's also the Sharon on right. the, the Galactica. Right. Uh, she wakes up and she sees another copy of herself and screams. <laughs> Which is Poor like Boomer, Boomer just but, like has it. She has it rough. So this is not the last time, the first time we've seen Boomer with other copies of herself, right? Right. Like there was the base star that she blows up, but I guess that falls under like hidden memories, because mm-hmm. like she gets back on the ship with the. Whoever her co-pilot there was, right? Like the yeah, like the, get back out. oh okay, and they go back, uh, you know, to Galactia, and then that's when she shoots,
2: right?
0: Adama, but blows up the base star. But presumably, at that point, there was you know the resurrection step was was still available and in range, right? And whatever. So my. this is my long-winded way of saying is, I wonder if that's the same, one of the same ones, you know, again, like this is totally headcanon because there's no way to verify. But like, in my own head, like that's got to be like one of the same Cylons who like said hi to her. right? You know. Well, didn't they say we love love you on the ship?
1: It's like probably the same one who's like following her around (laughs) trying to make her feel better.
0: We still love you. Um, Like very, you know, Well, it's, uh,
1: yeah, it's the contrast between the sweetness of that line and, like, the horror of her reaction of, like, you know, that is the most, you know, disturbing thing she's ever seen.
0: It's like Lenny loves you, you know. Yeah, right. Let let me give you a hug.
1: And, (laughs) like, like, it makes me kind of wonder, too, like, what did Boomer even know for sure about what happens like if you kill a well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like does she even know that like in her mind like if she gets shot and is dying that's dying you know like because she thinks of herself as human even if she intellectually knows she's not. Um, and so just the notion of okay it sucks to die but at least I'm going to escape the nightmare of this reality and but then to kind of find nope there's no escaping well, this reality. And if you die, you're going to wake up again and you're still stuck in it. And you're stuck being something you don't want to be.
2: And
0: so, like, obviously Boomer was a sleeper agent. But was that tied to, like, that particular body? Mm-hmm. Or is there something, like, actually in her mental consciousness makeup right, that has it in? So, like, does she suddenly remember oh this is why i woke up that one time all wet right like, <laughs> right right like the I actually was understanding the one who, of what she's been yeah. through yeah. yeah yeah i remember now putting the bomb in the water tanks like right. that kind of thing or or not like what i don't know that we get an answer to that ever but like
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah like is it like did they like inhibit the body somehow so that like now that She's in a new body, like those inhibitions aren't there. And maybe that's why she's acting so weird and whatever compared to everything else. Right. Um, Or if the inhibitions are still there, are those the things that are making her act more human? Because she's inhibited. Right. I don't know. I mean, I could sort of see an argument for either of those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Just sort of questions that I wonder.
1: Yeah. I don't know that well, I have and answers like, to them, Like Caprica 6 becoming more, like you said, head Baltar and her experiences leading her to be more sympathetic towards the human point of view. Um, mm-hmm. But with Boomer, it's like she doesn't really need a head Baltar. She has that already. You know, like she's already completely in sympathy with the human beings because from her point of view she is one of them and even if she's done terrible things she doesn't need anyone to tell her how bad they were you know and like she's kind of
0: got that covered Charity has a moral compass right right yeah so and she even says like you know i shot this man who i loved right like You know, and, and like, you know, talks about loving the people that she was with and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess, uh, just saying like, like for her, it's not pretend like she, it wasn't like Mm -hmm. Deanna where she was undercover or, or Mm -hmm. Doral, right. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Where, you know, they're undercover, but know what's going on. Right. Um, Yeah, so for her, those feelings were real, which I guess is the other aspect where you know she's similar to six, right? Because like Mm -hmm. six comes to find that she has real feelings for Altar,
1: right?
0: Right, like that's the you know that's sort of the the aspect is that she she knows that she's in love
2: Mm -hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And
0: that, yeah, I don't, I I guess I don't have any more to say on there. Just sort of
2: drawing that together. So
1: Well, and kind of, again, connecting Six and Baltar sort of in their different, you know, places that it's kind of an interesting fact of the story that these are the characters that really like kind of destroyed the world at the beginning of the series. Right. Like, through Baltar's sort of, you know, ignorance, but, you know, his own kind of weakness. And then, you know, Caprica's, like, you know, manipulation. These are the characters that blew everything up. But, you know, on the other hand, they're the two characters that are like the, you know, in some ways, like the the, the real star-crossed lovers of the series. Like, they're the ones so totally you know, uh, passionately in love with each other across all these distances and against Mm. all odds and across, you know, boundaries of, like, their species and everything. Um, You know, Mm. it's just an interesting kind of twist on it because they're not really, like, the villains of the show. Like, I don't know that there really are villains necessarily, but, like, the characters that you might think of as... These are the ones that wrecked everything in the beginning. They're the ones the most, like, transformed by their kind of experiences of, you know, loving each other. To the extent that, like, Baltar, in a way, among the humans, kind of sympathizes with the Cylons, and kind of works for them. And Mm. Caprica's now doing the same thing with the human beings, even though she's one of the Cylons. And they're kind of, like, betraying their own people,
0: in a way. Um.
2: Sure.
0: So, yeah, so, okay, uh, to wrap up some of the Caprica stuff, then, um, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, no, um, (laughs) you've got Sam and his band of bandits uh, looking to wreak some havoc um and they they know about the resurrection stuff but it's kind of like you know sam's like yeah so let's just keep killing them so frequently that they get pissed about it like that's like, like he i mean it may be a learning experience but like he's not thinking of it that way he's thinking of it it must hurt to die so right I'm going to make them hurt as much as I can. Um,
1: well, and even if it's a learning experience, it's it's a traumatic one, you know? Like, right. I think we kind of see that with 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 Six and with Boomer in this, you know, that, okay, yes, they learn and that their world views are expanded, but they certainly went through the hell of dying, you know? And
0: that's that's kind of the lesson of Scar, too, right? Is that, like... Right. That's why he's so mean and pissed off at everyone. Right, right. Um, right, right. Yeah, like a like so a cat times. who's been in one too many fights. Yeah, like right. Eventually, it just always hurts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so. Uh, they go in, blow some shit up, and. Sam ends up getting trapped uh, in the same sort of area as uh, Six, Three, and Boomer. So, I don't, I mean, I think we've already talked about a lot of the stuff that sort of comes out of that. I mean, Three, we know, was sort of planning revenge, or not revenge, but to To box, whatever that means. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Boomer, at least. And presumably Caprica 6 as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something... Like, even though they're sort of seen as heroes by other Cylons, like, that also makes them dangerous, right? Um, Right. Well, I
1: think it's probably because they're seen as heroes that they're dangerous, right. right? That, like... We shouldn't have heroes. We should be unified, you know, as a, as a culture, we shouldn't be putting, we shouldn't be giving people names and putting them up on these pedestals and making them sort of special above and beyond like the group think, um, Mm. you know?
0: Yeah. Right. So, um, three slash Deanna wants to kill Sam immediately, but uh, they sort of stop him. Right. And uh, convince her not to, or yeah, they stop her and convince her not to Um, stuff is said uh, three sort of thinks she's, you know, gonna win or whatever, and then uh, Caprica 6 kills her by, like, smashing heavy pieces of concrete over her head. Mm -hmm. Um, They let Sam go, and then sort of do a handshake treaty of, all right, now we're gonna, like, fight for peace, or whatever. That's a weird way of saying it, maybe. But, like... (laughs) Yeah, like, we're, we're going to seek something different. Maybe we were wrong to kill all the humans. hmm Wish we'd thought of that before we killed them all. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that wasn't such a good... Maybe that wasn't the best plan in the world.
1: Good thing we didn't kill all of them, right?
0: Right. Um, um, but, um... And, yeah, so now, like you said, like, there's sort of a resistance, you know, starting with the two of them as sort of the heroes and, and recognizing what their hero ness hero ship can do in that Mm -hmm. regard. Um, So now you have a six model leading resistance in both Mm. the, the fleet. Right. And on the other side of things, (laughs) you know, back on Caprica. So, right. That's right. kind of an interesting little like, which is interesting because when you think about it, that's what she did. She went to Kafka yeah. and was an infiltrator, and mm-hmm. like so, you're and and there was a model on Pegasus, right? Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, um, what what did she call herself? The the other model that we saw the other number six that we saw. Shelley. Shelly, thank you. Uh so yeah, so like not that no other Cylons have been infiltrators, but like Boomer's model, whatever number that is. Like She's apparently eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like the eight model had to be like severely like modified and you know had like right. mental blocks put in place in order to like become right. what she was. Um, Doral, I guess, you know, he, he, he was pretty successful as an infiltrator too. Uh, Leobin tried it, didn't work out. <laughs> Leobin you know. not
1: so good at the infiltrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, actually, so, and I just realized, so like two Leobin models die, right? Like, cause there's the one that, uh, Adama kills. Right. And then there's the one that's thrown out right. the airlock.
1: Right. But neither of them like last very long undercover.
0: Right like, no, they're exactly too
1: open about who they are, and you know feel compelled to sort of share their and their philosophy and their wisdom,
0: and not know. just that they share their philosophy but also sort of take philosophical interest in the revelation <laughs> of like yeah. you know and in like the process of revealing themselves and dying, like they're sort of like philosophical.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interest in doing that, sort of almost a scientific look of like right. oh what is what does it feel like to die now? I shall right. see um, right. yeah so so yeah, so like but like yeah if there i mean if there's sort of a defining feature of the six model it's that mm-hmm. she infiltrates and she s- subverts mm-hmm. you know sort of the i almost said subverses uh she subverts you know kind of the
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whatever, whatever side of things. So this is this is right. just another way of doing that, and it's right, right. Maybe interesting because you know it's a, on other Cylons this time rather than on right. humans, but right. Well, and like you said, that you know, not very different.
1: And like you said, it's like it's an infiltration, but that it's not just that she goes undercover well and stays there, but it always leads to either like a resistance or a revolution in some form, you know, like it always, it's not just that she can effectively hide in that situation, but she uses it to then kind of explode things from the inside. Yep. Um, literally and figuratively, like in, in pretty much almost like every case Mm -hmm. of like, at least of like the main sixes that we've seen. Um, she always ends up kind of, you know, destroying things from the inside for good or bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I mean, I think that shift in perspective is like probably the most important thing of this episode is like,
2: oh yeah, okay,
1: two two seasons in, we're just wrapping up the end of the second season and suddenly we get a Cylon point of view, which we haven't really had before. Like, we've right. had Cylons that we like, but, like, this is the first time where I feel like this is really, like, about them and from their perspective. Yeah. And I, we kind only, of...
0: Sorry. No, no,
1: go ahead. I was well, just going to say,
0: the, the only exception that I would say to that is, like, briefly, not mm-hmm. in the same level of depth, but briefly, like, when you get, like, Kilo and Sharon running and then you have... Six and Doral and Sharon. Sure. Yeah. You know, kind of following him.
1: Yeah. And maybe it's just a difference of scale. That, like, we've had their point of view, but not, like, for an entire episode before. Where, like, that's the main... Where we're exploring, like, the Cylon world, not just particular... Not just a couple individual characters. Um, And then I think it's interesting that we see them kind of just as you know not the same as the humans but like that they too are not in total unity about what the right thing to be doing is and that you have like this now subversive element of you know of Cylons which you know Caprica and Boomer are going to start to lead of you know maybe we should rethink our actions and be more sympathetic and turn ourselves around so no longer are they just the kind of unified faceless bad guy but Mm -hmm. now they kind of have individuality you know and are starting to kind of become more complex than what we've seen
2: yeah yeah
0: all right so we should probably talk a little bit about the galactica stuff i don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on it it's pretty straightforward Uh Sharon goes into labor like early, prematurely, mm-hmm. apparently she's hemorrhaging and um delivers Hera. Mm-hmm. Um sort of initially they think everything's good, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see like Hilo and like the little hand and mm-hmm. you know, all that. Um, then Rosalind has a conference <laughs> and Sort of is, like, talking about, like, I mean, it's kind of funny because, she's like, she's kind of hinting at things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But then, like, Baltar calls her out on it and she's like, if I was going to throw a child out in airlock, I would just say it. But she's not. Like, that's the thing. Right. Like, that's the irritating thing is, like, you're not just saying what you want to do. You're you're just right. sort of hinting at stuff. So Right, right. Like, I can feel... Like there's not very off, There's not many points in the series where I can say like I understand how Baltar's feeling, but in that moment <laughs> I do, like, right, like I do feel like I I can share some of his frustration there, yeah. Um. So yeah, and and you well, get Roslin and, you and, get and, and to jump in oh, really oh,
1: quick too. Just just to follow up on that really quick that like consistently for all his flaws that is. Very often Baltar's point of view is like the one person in the room who might actually be thinking about the Cylon point of view, you know, <laughs>
2: like, you right.
1: know, like consistently he is the one fighting for this baby, you know, now that's because head six is like threatening him if
0: he doesn't. So, right.
1: But still, like it. For I will make re-
0: you throw yourself against the
2: wall. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. But for what for his own reasons, that's important to him, you know, that like. Sure it actually matters to him that this baby is saved and is alive and everything. So, um, you know, yeah. Occasionally, you know, he is the the more, you know, I guess, humane one in the room. Um.
0: Well, and that's precisely his point is that this isn't a Cylon. It's half Cylon, half right. human. And, and, and that's the half we should remember <laughs> the human half. Right. So like, of course, Rosalind never updates her number to be like 0. 0.5. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, not, well, it's also
1: like, a, a super secret Cylon baby. So half Cylon right.
0: baby. No, I I mean, I wouldn't expect her to. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, right. So they're talking about sort of like, oh, oh, oh what can we do with the Cylon child? Like, what are all the things? What are all the possibilities that? They all the befours? options, yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, they settle on the plan of, at um, what turns out to be the plan. We, you know, they sort of—it's the slow reveal, right? Of we sort of think that because Coddle doesn't like it and whatever that, mm-hmm. like maybe what they're going to put her to death or you know who knows what. Um, they settle on a plan instead of having someone who recently lost a child, lost a pregnancy, uh, adopting Hera, mm-hmm. um, who turns out to be well. And then, I, I mean, presumably they just, like, swap babies, so, like, dead baby for live baby. Right, right. Um, and, you know, sort of try to fool Hilo and Sharon with the dead baby. Um, mm-hmm. Sharon's not fooled. Not even, like, for a second. Hilo, Hilo sort of is. Yeah. Like, maybe doesn't want to believe it, but is kind right. of like, oh, okay, and accepts it. Um, And that might just well, be military, and, yeah. like, you know, yeah. acceptance of what your, you know, whatever right. superior officers are telling you.
1: Well, and Sharon's more predisposed to be suspicious of, you know, humanity in general, but specifically, like, Adama and Roslyn of, like, you know. Sure, and and it. I mean, she is fooled, just not in the way they want her to be. She does think the baby's dead. It's just that she, you know, right. uh, then she tries to kill Cottle. Right, she thinks that they killed her. You know, she doesn't guess yeah. the full truth. I guess is you know. Whereas, like you said, Fair Hilo, enough. much more willing to accept what he's been told, and I think probably more implicitly believes in Adama's truthfulness than you know. Whereas like Sharon's used to being yeah, feared and despised and hated. And so, you know, that's kind of, if they don't trust her, she doesn't really trust them. Um,
0: right. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I have much more to talk about with that. Like it, it I feel like it's a setup clearly uh, for mm-hmm. future stuff, but there's not really much to much to say about it beyond that unless unless you have anything more
1: um no, not really. One little thing that kind of jumped out to me was um the fact that Hilo or the chief goes with Hilo to scatter the ashes mm. um, which is kind of a long way from where they started um, you sure. know kind of ready to beat each other up over over Sharon um but now there's this kind of friendship between them um which is kind of interesting to see yeah so yeah and then yeah Hera is uh you know alive but hidden within the fleet um unknown to most people even unknown to Baltar You know, which I think is interesting that they include him in the conference, but not in the decision, you know, Mm. Um, like maybe they decide, well, if he's not going to go along with it, better that he doesn't even know the plan. Right. Um, So.
2: Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, uh, on that note, uh, we'll come back and see how it all shakes out next week. Um, we're also going to be returning to Angel then. And actually, so, um, this is where we get a little kooky again, because now we're going to have two weeks of Angel in a row, um, to sort of make up again. Um, right, right. And, and over the next couple of months, it's going to be more of that sort of thing than the, the straight back and forth that we've had. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll deal with it and we'll be good.
2: So yeah, all right. Sounds
1: good. See you then.